Really looking forward to that. Every year, well, I'll tell you, Cheryl and her team, every year they just ramp it up one more notch. So I think we're going to lose them to Hollywood someday. That'll be terrible. But until then, we got them. They're ours. I heard you guys had a really good Sunday last Sunday. Brendan preaching at you and that and really helping you begin to think about what does it look like to step through fear and follow Jesus into what he's doing. You know, I was in um, the booming megalopagus of Toledo, Ohio. So literally doing Holy Toledo because we were there for a conference with churches from all over the, the globe. And, you know, it was really interesting hearing what the Spirit is doing in these churches because much of what he's doing here, he's doing there. And this is a call to returning to the basics of what does it look like to be a Christ follower and really follow him as he directs your steps and go with him. But there's challenges when we do that. There's, there's things that we bump into that I, I want to kind of highlight today and help us walk through and navigate this. And in order to do that, I'm going to show you this little movie clip and then we'll pick it up and we'll talk. Watch this. Can you drop the lights too? Thank you. How good are your powers of observation? The playing cards are going to be dealt from the top of the deck onto the table. How many red cards are dealt? said 15 congratulations but did you see the secret message on the back of the cards this awareness test brought to you by the mentalist watch closely he kind of creeps me out (laughs) just to be honest but how many of you saw the, the writing in the back of the cards? Did you see that when you were counting? Yeah, that's a, typically what happens is about three-quarters or better of the people don't really see that because of what we call selective attention. And it's, it's, it's what your focus does. It helps you in some ways, but it hurts you in other ways. And when we're trying to follow Jesus, we have this vulnerability to falling prey to, to missing some things because of that selectiveness. Because right now in the room, there's two things happening. There's something happening in the horizontal level right here. But there's also something happening in the vertical level where Jesus is working in each of your hearts as we do this together. He's moving. He's speaking. He's wanting to do certain things. And the trick as we go through is to keep our eyes focused on what Jesus is doing. But we struggle because of our hardwiring. I'll give you another example. Raise your right leg and make a clockwise circle with your right leg. Keep that clockwise circle going. And then with your right arm, stick it out and write the letter six. Or the number six, not the letter six. Did you feel that? All of a sudden, you're just kind of like that. You know, your body's going, whoa, I can't, I can't do two things at once. Thank goodness that the spirit is inside of us. That helps us to navigate like a, it's, it's just kind of like a, a radar deal that helps us to notice and recognize and hear. Because we'd really be lost in, in tracking where Jesus is. 
But it's so critical if we're going to be Christ followers. Because the whole thing really emerges to us when Jesus comes and he says to his first students, come what? Follow me. And he's saying the same thing to us day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute. Are you following me? Are you noticing? And when, we, when we're aware that Jesus is with us, we're really free of fear because we, the Lord is near. And that's why in Scripture, probably one of the most off-spoken promises, it may be the most frequently spoken promise, is not, I love you, as much as God loves you. You know what it is? Fear not. Why? For I am with you. And Jesus is always trying to get us to realize, I'm really with you. I'm, I'm walking with you. I'm in you. I'm around you. But the problem isn't, is he with us? The problem is, are we with him? Are we following? Because in our relationship with Jesus, he wants to be working on all these different planes. How are those slides coming, Steve? Here we go. Thank you. Oh, wrong one. Let's go back. There we go. It's got to be a triangle if it's Mark, right? So the, the piece is, you know, we know up. We know Jesus is there, right? Do we know that, people? Are we together on this? Jesus, Jesus is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's all-knowing. He's omniscient. But it's not just an upwards focus. There's an inward focus of when we're here together, we're watching what Jesus is doing in each other's lives. But that's not the whole of it either. He wants us to have an outside focus. And so really, you've, there's a lot of pieces that are turning around. And it feels a little bit like when you're turning your leg one way and trying to draw the number six. You know, oftentimes when I do that test, the people that can do it are heavy metal drummers. Do we have any heavy metal drummers in there? You know, because they've got two pedals going and they're going crazy. Somehow they're neurological wiring. But for the rest of us, Following Jesus in the up, in, and out can sometimes feel like, where did I lose him? And so I want to go back to the story that Brendan was working from in Matthew 14. So open up with me there. And as we go there, I'm just going to set a little stage with you too. Matthew is a gospel written to the Jews. He's really concerned about communicating to him about the anointed one, the Messiah, and so he does a lot of connecting prophecy to what Jesus did. But he doesn't write in the same language. One reason we knew some of these writers was the language, the style that they used. And Matthew had a very unique style. As opposed to the Gospel of Mark, which is probably the, actually the Gospel of Peter. Peter's telling the story as John Mark's recording the Gospel. And we call it the Gospel of Mark, but it's likely Peter telling it. And you can tell it when you read the Gospel of Mark, it's like bam, bam, wham. It's like an old Batman cartoon. Zowie, zippy. And, and he uses words like immediately, suddenly. Uh, and when you see those kinds of words immediately, suddenly in Matthew, it should really stand out. You should go, wow. For Matthew to say it that way, it must really mean something. So keep that in your head while I set the stage about the chapter we're going to work from. If we follow Jesus into all that he has for us, have you ever felt a place where all of a sudden you wondered, are you looking out for me, Jesus? Have you ever felt that? Like, 
if I go here, will you be there for me? Am I the only one that's felt that way? It's like, okay, here goes, Lord, I'm going to try it. That's like when I, when I first started and realized that I was going to be a pastor, that was when I became a new Christian. The Lord asked me to start a Bible study in my apartment in the dormitory, and 47 students show up. I don't know anything about the Bible. I laughed when I heard it. I said, me, a Bible study? I only know two things. I know the Bibles are black, and some guy named King James wrote it. That's what, literally what I thought. So in the moment, on that Tuesday night, when 47 students are there, did I all of a sudden wonder, is Jesus here helping me? You think I panicked? And when we do this thing on mission, we can hit panic. Like, well, what about me, Lord? And this whole chapter, chapter 14, stems from a tragic incident where John the Baptist gets beheaded. One of our guys. I mean, he's, here he is, the, the preface to the Messiah, this chosen guy, and we, and we lose him. Now, how would you feel if you're part of Jesus' posse and one of the big names goes down? Are you, are you feeling a little nervous? Are you? I am. I'm going, wow, oh, snap, what's going to happen to me? You know, am I vulnerable? Am I the next guy to get this kind of a thing? And really, what we're worried about when we step out with Jesus in any direction, whether it's relational or mission or whatever it is, and everything's mission to Jesus. That's why Paul says, you know, whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord. It's worship. But so whatever it is that he's asking you to step out in, you're going to hit these places where you wonder, do you have me? You got me? What will happen to me? Do you feel that? When you do something, when you risk yourselves, you put yourselves out there, that's the big question. Do you have me? Are you going to catch me? So Jesus wants to teach them. Because this is fresh in their minds. They bury him, and then um, he goes to pray, and you get down to uh, 13 and 14, and they're beginning to make a trip. He's drawing them aside. And now in, in verse 15, he's teaching the crowds that have followed him. Now, keep in mind, Jesus' miracles are always instructive. He doesn't just, like, reach in his pocket and go, Oh, man, I got two miracles here today. Let's have some fun. And just randomly throw the miracles out. What he does is he thinks about, What do my students need to learn? And he demonstrates, through a miracle, God's unbelievable provision. And so these people are listening to Jesus teach. It's splendid. And then they notice, oh, man, it's getting late. So the disciples say to Jesus, we should send them into the villages so they can buy themselves some food. Game on. Time for the teacher to really teach the students. And he says, you give them something to eat. And you know what? Oftentimes... Jesus could sovereignly, I mean, there are times, in fact, I just talked to a pastor who two people who were former Muslims came to Christ because Jesus, he, he showed himself, he revealed himself to them. Undeniable proofs. But Jesus, his bigger plan is to send us, right? To use us as mouthpieces and as, as living letters to be read. And so what Jesus does here is he says, no, 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 no. 
You give them something. You give them. Now, get out of your seat and plop yourself in this story. Does this sound like Mission Impossible? What? You got maybe Judas and some of the boys counting the bucks in there, and they go, man, we could buy some fries, but that's it. And then Andrew, you got to love Andrew because he's ever the networker. He's working the crowd, and he's finding out what he's got. And he runs, and he's excited. At least, at least he's in it. He goes, look what I found. This kid's willing to give this up. He's got five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus says, bring them here to me. And then he blesses them, and he gives them. And you know, that's a great Sunday school story. What happens? They're multiplying as they're going along. I mean, can you, can you imagine how much fun it would be at Bird and the Word when we're feeding over 500 people and you're scooping beans and every time you scoop beans, two more scoops hop back in the pan. How cool would that be? Do you think that would get your attention? You think, you go, hey, Brandon, get over and watch this. Scoop, boop, boop. And then a guy scooping the pork's like, yeah, check this out. Big scoops on the bun, you know. Bam. Hey, have two scoops. Because then there's bing, 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 four scoops in the pork. That'd make a definite impression. Wouldn't you call your friends and family? We had a really weird thing at church today. We had these things popping all over the place. And see, Jesus immerses them there, not because he just wants to do a miracle. It's because he wants them to get the point. And here's the point that we need to get. When we're with Jesus, he always has enough. When they finished, there was more than enough. It'd be like doing bird in the word and having more food than what we started with. You go, what? What is this? But when we're not noticing Jesus with us, we feel like we don't have enough, don't we? Hey, Mark, go do this. Oh, boy. In fact, talking to some of these pastors, a number of them, we had a little breakout and we were talking about preaching. And to a T, all these preachers, they they were confessing that oftentimes I feel like I don't have anything to say. I don't have enough. And so I just said, I said, well, I wonder in the midst of not having enough, what Jesus would do if you'd bring that to him. And you know what these guys said to me is they said, you know what? In that moment, I panicked and I tried to come up with something clever. Instead of leaning back and saying, Jesus, what do you got? So the first thing he wants his students to say, if you're going to follow me on mission, I want you to understand that when you're with me, you'll never run out. I will ask you to do things like you say, I don't have enough, Lord. He'll go, don't worry, I do. Just give me the little bit you have. Give it to me. And when we're on mission, it's amazing. So I was telling first service that when I was a new Christian, um, I've told you my story before. It was just kind of a weird story that this friend comes in who also was one of my student workers, and he was all sad. And I said, what's up, Steve? And he says, well, I broke up with my fiance, but it's okay because we prayed. And I was like, you prayed? Well, what good is that? And then he looked at me and goes, you don't believe in prayer, do you? I was like, dun, 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 dun. He said, prayer prayer's cool. I mean, that's all right. You could pray, but then after that, you got to do something. And then he really, he caught me off guard. I was on my heels now. He says, do you want to pray? <laughs> I'm like, sure, sure. 
And then he just threw in, he said, listen, if you want to become a Christian, all you have to do is ask Jesus in your heart. That's all he said. No, no, you know, outline of what the gospel is. Just said, if you want, do this. So he starts praying. I close my eyes. I'm seeing my whole life play through. I've told you this. The times where I fell out a third-story window, the car accidents, the motorcycle accidents, the times of drowning, you know, drug overdoses, all these places I should have died, it didn't. And then I realized, man, it's probably for this moment. God wants my life. I've made a wreck of it. Maybe he can fix it. So I say, deal. Jesus, you can come in my heart. And I, it was like a holy zap for me. I don't know about you, but for me it was like, Zzz. and I sat there um, just in the presence of God with my eyes closed for I don't know how long, but when I opened them, he was gone. And then I spent the rest of the night confessing my sins, and it took the whole night to kind of run through the list. And here's what was weird. I get up to go to the uh, cafeteria to eat breakfast, and as I'm going, one of my students stops me and goes, Hey, did you shave off your beard? I was like, I, don't, I never had a beard. What do you mean? They go, there's something different about your face. Okay. Then I go a little bit further, same thing. Hey, Mark, did you shave off your beard? What's it with a beard? I'm not a beard. I go and I sit down with my staff in the cafeteria. You know what they said to me? Hey, you shaved off your beard. What is it with a beard? I never had a beard. They said, well, something different with your face. But you see, in that moment, I don't know what your experience when you started your walk with Jesus, but Jesus was so like up in my grill and the reality of God's presence, it must have been shining off my face. And I had hair then, so it wasn't like my forehead shining. It was Jesus shining. But, but here's the idea of being with Jesus. And this is what was really cool. Was, as I went home, and um, didn't get home that often. My younger brother, Matt, says to me, and I thought, here it comes, the beard thing. And he goes, what happened to you? And I said, why? What do you mean? And he goes, your face. And I said, like, and I went, oh, you know what it is? I'm a Christian now. Jesus is in my heart. And he goes, well, can I have Jesus in my heart? I said, sure. So we prayed. And then my sister Mara sees me, she grabs Matt. She goes, what happened to Mark? And he says, well, he has Jesus in his heart. She goes, can I? And he said, sure. So they come down and we pray again. My sister gives her heart to the Lord. The next day, my wild child sister Lisa comes. I mean, if I was crazy, she was craziest. Just did the craziest stuff. She sees me. She grabs Matt. What happened to Mark? He goes, he's a Christian got Jesus in his heart. She goes, can I? She says, yes. They come and they pray. Now, people, that doesn't happen every day, does it? I mean, that's just not, talk about big red honey crisp apples falling to the ground. It's like plop, plop, fizz, fizz, or what a relief it is. It's just beautiful that that's happening. But when I, I say that because um, it's not always that way, but the sense of what Jesus is there and the presence of the Lord is there, there's a flow and an ease and a grace. Because not long after that, what happened to me was I started to read my Bible. Remember, I was completely illiterate with Scripture. I was reading my Bible, and the more I read my Bible, the more I would notice things that I should or shouldn't do. Like, don't lie, and I was like, ooh, I lie a lot. I was really convicted. Oh. 
Okay, don't do that. Don't get angry. Ooh, ooh. And all these commands were heaping up, and I was turning myself inward, and I was trying to do it all on my own, and I was one big bag of snags, uptight. And so uptight Mark creeps into church one Sunday, heavily burdened with all of his snags, and he walks over to a bulletin board that he hardly ever looks at, and there is an organizational chart, and lo and behold, front and center, Mark Spencer is the church evangelist. I am? Now, it's true that when I was with Jesus in those moments and there was a flow, it was unbelievable how many people came to Christ in that really brief season. But all of a sudden, I had lost track of Jesus. And I was trying to do it on my own. And I was uptight and nervous and afraid and under pressure. Come on, Mark, perform. Bring more in. And I had completely lost my way with Jesus. And this was what was so sweet. Well, pause that. I'm not going to go there yet. Come back. I want you to kind of move to the edge of your seat so I know you're with me. Because I'll come back to that story. But I want to go into Matthew 14, pull in Peter's story, and then I'll tell you what happened in my experience. Now remember, Jesus just helped the students realize, listen, folks, when you go on mission with me, don't sweat it. I got more than enough. Just bring your little to me, and I'll make it a lot. Amen? Does that sound good to you? All those in favor, say aye. 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 All right, let's do this. So now he wants them to understand something else that's very important when you go on mission. Look what happens. Verse 22, interesting enough, there's this word. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat, and he has them head out. He goes to pray. And then verse 25, shortly before the dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they're terrified. It's a ghost! And they cried out in what? Fear. Mm, That nasty animal. That four-letter word, there it is. But notice verse 27. But Jesus, after a long time, but Jesus, after he woke up from his nap, But Jesus, after he went to visit Mary and eat a cheeseburger, no. What does the verse 27 say? But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. So Pete's starting to feel some courage. Oh, it's Jesus. Well, where Jesus is is where I want to be. I want to do mission with him. So he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out. So he says, come on. Peter gets down out of the boat, walks on the water, comes towards Jesus. Amazing. I mean, think about the story from two angles. Number one, does Jesus just feel like strutting his stuff? No, it's instructive. He wants them to get something. We we know now that he has more than enough as he takes us on mission, but what about the unknowns of life? What about the things that make us afraid? What will Jesus do about them? So what he does is he sends the boys out. It's getting a little rocky and stormy. He walks on water. He walks on water. He wants them to see 
Listen, guys, there is nothing on planet Earth that I cannot stand above, be above, rule over. I can walk on it. I'm above it all. You might not be. I am. All power and authority is mine. Impossible situations are not impossible for me. Doing stuff that's weird like walking on water, I do it. It's how I roll. And if you want to roll with me, you can do it too. You can. That's the point. And so Pete, the other side of the story, he's like, that looks cool. Can I do it? Yeah, come on, Pete. He's, can you imagine the first step? You know, you kind of wonder, is, this, is it frozen like in Minnesota? You know, he's, and, and all of a sudden he swings his other leg. Out. Can you imagine the rest of the students? They're like, What's up with Pete? And I imagine, I imagine Peter as being kind of a big guy like me, you know? Not like he's this 90-pound guy that you think, well, that's just because he's a stick man and he can walk on water. I think it's like Spencer, plop, plop, in the water he is, you know? Pete's out there stomping around. They're like, wow. Now, again, Jesus is not showing off. He's doing something that's very instructive to the students and us. Because later on, in the Gospel of John, he's going to tell the people when he's on his deathbed, abide in me. In other words, be with me. Why? Because apart from me, you can do nothing. But with me, all things are possible. And he's saying, guys, take this object lesson. It's possible. You can do it with me. And so Pete's out there. But look what happens. It's exactly what happens to us. Verse 30. But when he, Peter, saw what? The wind. He was afraid. There it is. And he began to sink, crying out of your Lord, save me. We'll read on a little bit further because it's beautiful. Verse 31. What does it say? After about an hour and a half. After a day or two. When Jesus fell immediately. Jesus pulls him up. You see, he, he wants us to realize when you risk, when you step out in faith, and when you feel the sinking feeling, because what happens to us is just what happens to us when we watch the little card deal, is we're focusing on Jesus and we're doing great, but all of a sudden we turn our focus and we miss it because there's these things going on and we get caught up in the wind and the waves and fear sets in. So oftentimes when we decide we're going to risk great things with Jesus because we really do sense him leading, fear comes in and it gives that sinking feeling, doesn't it? You just feel like it's sinking. And then once that happens and you're sinking into the distractions, you start to lose track of where Jesus was. And that's where I was after this great season of witnessing to people. I mean, they were just falling down. As I just walked with Jesus. And all of a sudden I had got myself where I was distracted. And I wasn't looking at Jesus. I was constantly evaluating myself. I'm doing this wrong and that wrong. And I'll never get this. And why am I so slow? And why am I so stupid? And why did I keep sinning like that? What's my issue? And I wasn't noticing where Jesus was. I just was noticing my mess. 
So I see this thing that I'm the church evangelist, and I go, woo, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. And when I saw it and I went, woo, I realized in the moment God spoke to me, I'm going to walk you through this. I'm going to walk you through this. Now, I want to just say real quickly, people, I do not have a bat phone to heaven. I don't have a red phone that says God phone that I can pick it up and God just says, what, what I have is what you have. The scripture in John 10 is plain. If you are his sheep, you'll hear his voice. What does that look like? Usually for me, I got a bunch of thoughts going on and all of a sudden this one thought comes above. And I pay attention and I go, oh. And it's a kind of thought that catches my attention and stays with me. And I go, that must be God. You know, because when Moses, in Exodus, when he sees the burning bush, that's not an uncommon thing in the near Middle East, especially during the hot season that he was in. It's hot there. It's dry there. And so those bushes are like tumbleweeds. They will spontaneously catch fire. But if you read the text that explains why it caught Moses' attention, it didn't consume itself. In other words, it kept burning. So he would have seen bushes pop up, but this thing just keeps going and going and going like the ever-ready ever batteries, the ever-ready bunny, and he's going, what, what is this? And he hears God. The same thing with when you hear God, there's a thought that rises above thoughts, and it, it stays with you. Does that make sense? So I'm not talking about like, ooh, Angela, choir comes down, and they give me a sticky note from God. It's not that. And I hear this. I hear, I'm going to walk you through this. Okay. I say to the Lord, okay. What does that look like? And here's what it looked like. My very first assignment was to say hi to someone I didn't know. So I'm in the store in Northfield, and I'm walking, and I'm trying to get up courage. And again, I'm really not recognizing where Jesus is in the situation. I'm looking at how am I going to get up the guts to say hi to someone. Because I struggle with fear of rejection. I struggled with being afraid of people. And I was acutely aware of all my mistakes and all my errors. In fact, it was funny. I told Brendan when I came in, he's got his PF flyers. You know what I did this morning? Don't try to do this. I thought, I'll give myself a quick trim because I don't have that much hair to trim up, right? So I think I could do this in the morning. And it was pre-coffee, super dangerous. Talk about losing track of Jesus. So I have the clipper on, and I'm going right here, and the clipper falls off, and I buzz right here really close. And I go, great. I'm going to stand before hundreds of people with my weird-looking scar thing here, or whatever that is. And I thought, you know what? With Jesus, I can do it. So here you go. That's why my hair looks weird, the little bit I have, because I was risking giving myself a haircut before coffee. You know, and in, in, in these moments, when we lose track of Jesus, we feel like we've got to come up with it. That's the sinking feeling. Get that in your head. When you feel overwhelmed and sinking like you're drowning, that's the feeling Jesus wants you to go, Oh, Lord, where are you? So I'm walking in there, and I go up to a person in the store, like I'm going up to Chrissy, and this is what I did. And she probably thought I was going to throw up on her. But as soon as I looked at her eyes, I got super nervous and I, like that. And then I just ran. And you know what I heard God say? 
get this, almost immediately, nice try. And it wasn't sarcastic like I would do, like, nice try, buddy. It was, no, nice try. It was like the good dad at Little League when you go up and you swing really hard, but you just absolutely whiff the ball, you know. The good coach, the good dad, the good mom, the good uncle says, yeah, nice swing. Keep at it. And so one thing led to another where it was like, talk to this person. But Jesus was walking me, and each time he would, he would give me a sense of his presence. And I was able, as I walked through step by step, saying hi to someone, then trying to engage them, like, how's your day going? A little bit further. And then looking for places in conversation with Jesus' help. He's walking me back in and, and sharing with me, okay, this is how you do it. Close your eyes for a minute. I'm going to say a word to you, and I want you to tell me what pictures come to mind. Evangelism. Evangelism. What picture comes to mind? Open your eyes now. Don't go to sleep on me. What picture comes to mind? How many of you have a picture that kind of sounds like this, where there you are knocking on the door of a strange person, and the door opens up, and then you have to do your deal? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's usually my thing. Or the awkward conversation at work where someone finally asks you what you think about this or that, and you get into a conversation, and you know, uh-oh, it's time to stand up as a Christian. Really uncomfortable. Do you know what I mean? That's why the E word, we hardly say it at church. Don't say the E word. How? People not up when you say the E word. But the E word, according to the disciples, was like spiritual water ski. Jesus said, grab onto the rope, boys, and I'm going to pull you through. And hang on. Hang on. Do what I'm doing. And the more that I'd be in these conversations, the more as I practiced and listened for Jesus and got familiar, oh, yeah, that's what you're doing, Lord. As I followed the Lord in the conversation, the better and better it got. It took practice. It took focus. I had to resist being distracted by the wind and the waves. I had to push back the fear with the grace of Jesus, but stay focused in the moment to say, Lord, you're with me. You want me to get this. All I got to do is hold the rope. And not long after that, my mom calls me and says, I'm going to divorce your dad. Okay? What's up, mom? Well, same old, same old. Okay, mom. And then, Mom, what do you think Jesus is doing in your life? I don't know. Do you have any sense of where he is? No. Well, Mom, Jesus wants you to know he's there. He does? He does. I said, Mom, do you have Jesus in your heart? I don't know. I said, well, you can know. So I pray. I said, Mom, do you want to pray? Yeah. Do you want Jesus in your heart? Why not? I need help. I said, he's a very present help. Let's pray. So I pray with my mom. She goes, I still don't know what to do, Mark. I said, I know. So I pray one more prayer. Lord, if you're really here, send help. Next day, my mom calls me. She goes, okay, this is weird. I grew up in a town of less than 10,000. Everybody knows everybody. And if they don't, they act like they do. Right? So my mom, she knows everybody. She worked at the library in different places, worked at the restaurant. We knew everybody. 
This strange person shows up in the afternoon when my mom's not normally there, but she's there, knocks on the door and says, how are you? My mom says, good. I thought I'd stop by to visit you. You did? Yep. And she goes, for some reason, I thought it'd be good to bring this book. And she gives her a book on Christian marriage. And my mom looks at it and she goes, wow. She says, may I come in? She comes in and she visits with my mom for over two hours, prays with my mom, encourages my mom. When my mom was done, she knew what she needed to do. She needed to follow Jesus through this situation. My mom has never seen that woman again. I don't know if that was one of those Hebrews 13 moments where you're entertaining an angel or not, but I can tell you this, I was super glad Jesus showed up where I couldn't. Amen? It all came with this practice of walking with Jesus and getting a sense and focusing. And what Jesus wants us to get out of the story of Peter and the feeding of the thousands is to remember, listen, folks, when you go with me, don't worry, I have more than enough. And as you go, remember, I am always with you. Our problem is, are we with him? Are we paying attention to what he's doing and listening for what he's saying? So I want to turn it over to Brendan now. He's going to come and he's going to kind of talk with us a little bit about the offering. But it gives us a place here where we can really dig in and say, I'm going to step out in faith and follow Jesus.